Hello, hello, hello. So I have some absolutely amazing news before I start this episode of the podcast. This month, Des Kelly Interiors will be sponsoring my podcast, The Shane Walsh Podcast, to celebrate Sleep Timber. Des Kelly Interiors are an Irish-owned business specialising in all things beds, mattresses, flooring, carpets and home furnishings. They have nine showrooms across Dublin, Kildare and Meath. This month, they are celebrating Sleep Timber, where they will be running massive discounts across all nine stores in their bedding department. They'll be talking all things sleep on their socials, so make sure to tune in. I've always talked about the importance of sleep and I've had the amazing Tom Coleman on and he has done the research for Des Kelly on this side of things as well. And I'm honoured to be working with a brand that values sleep as much as I do. They have a huge range of beds and mattresses as well as a dedicated fitness connection range. They have very kindly offered and given me a discount code for all the listeners when you quote Shane Walsh in store you will get 10% off all beds and mattresses. So hope you guys enjoy the episode and massive thank you to Des Kelly Interiors for sponsoring the podcast. So before I go into today's episode, I am absolutely delighted and over the moon to announce the next intake of the Female Fat Loss Program is opening up and starting on the Monday, the 3rd of October. So September's was the biggest intake that we've had so far and some of the results and some of the changes that are coming in there are absolutely amazing and the previous intakes have been incredible as well so if you're someone who is looking to improve relationship with food learn that you don't need very very low calories in order to get results and still get results improve your training get a training program have video access to a video library have a facebook group of like-minded people improve your knowledge around how to manage your body how to fuel yourself how to manage pms how to manage cravings and just overall get results that you've never had before well then the next intake will start on the 3rd of october of the female fatless program so the link is in the show notes so you can click on that and we can get you started on the 3rd of october so before I kind of go into the next episode, I wanted to introduce the next amazing guest we have on the podcast, which is Avine Bannon. So Avine is someone that I've wanted to get on for quite a long time on the podcast. And Avine has is a qualified dietitian, has practiced widely in hospitals, both in Ireland and the UK, prior to setting up the Dublin Nutrition Centre in 2003. Avine graduated from Trinity College with a human nutrition and dietetics uh, bachelors of science and completed a business diploma in smurfit as well she also is a current member of the indi which is the irish nutrition and dietetic institute and avine specialized in eating disorder uh, and that's what she does she's an eating disorder dietitian has also trained in the low fodmap diet as well and has completed rfid introduction to diagnosis and management has completed level two behavior change training as well so Avian is currently considered one of the top dietitians in the country and it was it was an absolute honor to have Avian on and she specializes in eating disorders, good health, weight management, cancer and pediatric nutrition. So this was a very interesting topic like this was we nearly pressed nearly forgot to press record before we actually went into it. So some of the topics that we went into are my fitness pal and the changes that are being made, should everyone track, who shouldn't track. Kind of like the we also talk about the element of calories on menus and that was something that's being brought over in the uk are people aware of their hunger cues and how to bring awareness of that the difference between intuitive being and unconditional permission to eat where people are getting blurred on that we talk about the pressure that are on the next generation as well we talk about how to avoid comparison we talk about are we actually addicted to sugar can we be addicted to sugar we talk about the 80 20 rule and there's some really useful language in there for someone we talk about kind of how to avoid diet chat at work or at school or whatever it may be 
and the last one is we talk about cholesterol so it's a really really useful information and really really useful podcast for someone who is either nutrition or just looking to improve their general knowledge on how to manage their own nutrition and kind of break that kind of barrier for themselves but if you are looking to work with the av nanner team go over to dnc.ie and the team will be able to book you in for a consultation so i hope you guys enjoy the episode with avian Baden. avian how are we good thank you how are you i'm good we nearly pressed we nearly forgot to press record we did we were chatting a bit too much there weren't we we, we were yeah it happens sometimes uh but it's friday so happy days uh thank you so much for coming on Oh, listen, I was delighted to be asked because I actually love listening to your podcast. So um, I actually felt quite honoured. So thank you. No problem at all. Uh, I get really awkward when people say that. So it's all good. Um, <laughs> great. <laughs> thanks. Um, so <laughs> for anyone who isn't aware of who you are and what you do on a daily basis, who are you and what do you do? Okay, so I'm a dietitian, have been for over 20 years now, which is actually quite alarming. But um, so we have a practice Dublin Nutrition Centre where there's a team of us in there. We all kind of work in different areas. I predominantly work with people with kind of more of their relationship with food, disordered eating um, and a little bit of gut and different things as well. We all kind of work in our own little areas, whether it's sports or loss of period or for like hormonal issues, cholesterol issues, things like that. But um, yeah, so my day job is clinic. I do, you know, seeing patients in clinic and then doing kind of a little bit of writing and kind of on top of that. But um, I left the hospital, would you believe, in 2003. So I'm a long time out, nearly 20 years. Oh my God, I'm nearly 20 years doing private practice. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And which do you prefer, private practice or the hospital? So when I was in the hospital, I absolutely loved it, loved the, you know, the, like working with other people, the area, everything like that. And I didn't like clinic when I was in the hospital. I used to find that quite boring. And interestingly, now that I'm working on my own, I love clinic. But I think the benefit of private practice is people tend to want to come and see you because they've made the appointment. <laughs> Whereas in the hospital, you'd be like, hello. Stop pretending to be asleep. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, I loved both, but I do prefer the private practice, I think, yeah. Um, I know, like, when we were talking so much off, off air about various different things. And yeah. I think the, the big change that's kind of happened in kind of, like, nutrition and training and all that kind of stuff is the news about my fitness pal. It's one of those apps that I would say a lot of people have on their phones right now. Whether they use it or not is completely up to them. And there's some people that probably shouldn't be using it. Mm-hmm. But what about like if anyone isn't aware of what my fitness pal have done is they've there's a barcode scanning function on my fitness pal and now they put up a paywall that you have to pay i don't know i think 12 dollars or 12 euros or something like that they have to pay for the barcode to be able to scan the back of the packet of a food what what is your kind of interpretation of like the of my fitness pal in itself and do you kind of recommend it with clients i know the answer because we've spoken about it off air but do you recommend it with clients or have you changed your stance on it uh yeah so i don't i don't tend to recommend tracking either of calories or of macros um i kind of feel like i suppose there's many different reasons and i said i do work a lot with disordered eating but you know eating like diets don't cause eating disorders but every eating disorder starts with a diet so kind of think about it. so i think with first of all with tracking calories is you're not looking at the nutrition 
so from a dietetic point of view, like we're all about like, you know, the timing, like optimal protein, fiber, looking at the vitamins and minerals. So when you're looking at calories, we're not getting that information. Um, it kind of also moves away from identifying your own hunger cues or fullness cues. So, you know, you might still feel hungry, but you're like, oh, no, I've reached my limit or, oh, hang on, I've got 200 calories left. I should eat like I have to make it up. So. Yeah. It becomes a little bit you're not really listening to your own hunger cues and that kind of intuitive eating thing is a whole different conversation but it's an interesting area um it also it can be something that it becomes very it's time consuming it becomes a very much a focus in your life now food 100 should be enjoyed uh should be enjoyed we want to be able to you know eat normally eat kind of freely eat healthily but once we start overthinking it and over analyzing it it just becomes a bigger thing in your day. And I just, I don't think it's always a good thing. Now, that being said, I have people who find tracking really helps them. Um, if they are, I kind of say, okay, well, we start tracking how much fiber you're having. Like go into the, the detail where you get the breakdown there and see, like, are you meeting your fiber requirements in a day? Like, are you getting enough of your dietary fats, of your protein, of your calcium, of your iron? Like, you know, look at the nutritional value maybe as opposed to just focusing on the calorie um like look at the the timing like are you getting your calories nice and spread throughout the day or do you find you know a quarter of your calories are during your work day and three quarters are in the evening like so it might not be anything to do with the amount of calories you're eating it might be how we divide them throughout the day so it can work you know for people with that who take it in a very much a so it's not too serious way like it's a guide it's not a rule so that's where I kind of think like I'm not a big fan of the whole idea of calories on menus. Um, I kind of think that if you're an overeater or an undereater, I don't think that's going to help. Um, it's one of those things that I think, you know, for people who who struggle with calories, they might go, well, they're going to go for the lower one, you know, because that feels safer. Um, somebody who's struggled with being overweight might find they feel guilty having what they want to have and feel like they should have the lower one. Like it just, there's so much going on with our relationship with food and it's such a deep, deep, deep connection that's much further than calories. I'm not a big fan of that. Yes, I think there's like three questions out of what you've just said there. I'll start with the calories on the menus because I know that was kind of brought, I think the UK brought it in anyway. I know in some yeah. menus, I like I know if you go to say Camille, the, yeah. the calories would all be on that. Yeah. I think it's it can be a great deal, but I think what would probably in a you can you may agree or not agree. That's why I like these conversations is that probably most people need to start with a, learning how to actually read a nutrition label. Exactly, because you know if I went out onto the road now and said to people, "How many calories a day do you need?" I will get random like people coming back with things like, oh, I'll get 1,200 calories, I'll get 1,600 calories, I'll get like 3,000 calories, or I'll get like, I don't know, what's the calorie? So first of all, there's a very poor knowledge for people to know what they actually need. So you know the way we get advice, things put out in population basis, and they say, oh, 1,800 for a woman, yeah, yeah. for a man. You know, it's all individual. Like it depends on your activity level, your height, your, like there's so many things that can, it can impact on what your calorie requirement is. I find now, unfortunately, people tend to veer towards, I think they need less calories. You know, it's like I did a talk with a group of fourth year TY students in a school um, just before the end of um, summer, before, sorry, the start of summer. And I asked a group like of 16 year olds, how many calories do you need a day? And the average of what I got back was 1,200 to 400, sorry, 1,200 to 1,400. So 
the knowledge base there just says how dangerous is it for them then to go out and see something that a main meal says it's like 600 calories they think that's really really high so i suppose it's that kind of aspect of you it depends if you know what to do with it it depends if it's important to you or not you could be like my husband who goes in and buys a sandwich with the highest calories because it's good value for money so it's like it's a really that's, good idea i like that efficiency yeah, yeah. Like I'm like, that, that's not that's not the uh that's not what they're thinking of but it, it it's something that i don't want if i'm having a takeaway on like we usually have takeaway once a week i i'm not going to pick it based on what the calories are i'm going to pick on what i want if I'm struggling with my weight and I want to manage my weight and I want to eat healthier and I find that useful, that can be really useful for me. So it's really individual, but it's something that I don't think should be made um, like they have done in the UK compulsory. Yeah. And so also like the, the chefs and I've, I've spoken to, I've had chefs uh, as clients and stuff before, and they've kind of said our number one goal is to make that food tasty. Exactly. Our number one goal isn't to make it X amount of calories. Yeah. And there's no way in hell that every single meal is going to be the same because there's yeah, different levels of oil going in. There's different levels of X, Y, and Z going in. And then like, it's, 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 even if it says it's 500 calories or whatever it is on the menu, yeah. it's, I would always be safer and say, right, probably multiply by one and a half to be safer. It's not going to be hundred percent accurate, but it would be on a closer probably on a closer scale of what it's probably going to be anyway. Yeah. Or like even think of an apple, like if you put five apples in a row, like they're all going to be slightly different calories. Yeah. Just a different size. If I went down and pick up the bag of apples, I have downstairs different sizes. Yeah. So when you think of it, like it's, it's not an exact science. Like we will have done like as part of different jobs in the past, or you're doing kind of dietary assessments, you'll have done calorie breakdowns. Like they're not accurate when we have a patient and we're doing a rough calculation we do very rough we'll go okay that's roughly about this that's roughly about that or like estimate they're having i don't know two and a half thousand calories a day so it's we don't professionally if we're doing it in our own minds i never really discuss calories with the patient so but if i'm doing it in my own mind just to get an idea like it's a very rough calculation because i know it's not going to be accurate so when you get into kind of then the menus, like having different amounts for like a portion of rice, a portion of this, a portion of potato, like it's not accurate. It's it can be overwhelming for people. And I suppose when we do go to eat out or do something and it's probably a treat, do we really want to know? No, not really. Sometimes not knowing is better. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned there about kind of like kind of eating out and stuff and there's there is an element of like i need to do this for control with my fitness pal mm. but the irony reality is probably the opposite in relation to the app is probably the controlling rather than you're actually in control can you kind of talk about that a little bit yeah so control around food i mean when when we talk about so like just actually to explain the difference between disordered eating and an eating disorder yeah. like a disordered eating is when we don't have we might have erratic eating behavior. So like, you know, you're regularly skipping breakfast or, you know, that's like disordered eating. The difference between disordered eating and eating disorder is compulsion. Okay. So once we feel compelled to, or we have to, like, that's the real red flag word for me. I have to, I need to, like, I have to, okay, well, I'm going to order this, but I have to put this into my fitness pal. That's suddenly like, you don't have to, you're choosing to, maybe you want to, maybe you're choosing to, like, I'd like to, that's different. But if you feel like you have to do it, your relationship with food is suddenly going a little bit out of control. Okay. And so 
Where is that kind of coming from, though? Because is that coming from who we hang around with or is that coming from what we're intaking on socials or where is it coming from? Yeah, it's coming from like, I mean, it's coming from environmental factors. It can come from some forms of education in school. Like there's, you know, different things in books that say like, oh, like this is bad. This is good. You know, we have to, you know, that kind of message that we get from a media, from teaching environmentally like tiktok social media all of these different factors you know people have opinions about food and they have very strong opinions about this is good for you or this is bad for you you know the dietitian mantra i'm sure you've heard it before like there's no such thing as a good or bad food only a good or bad diet so we don't look at foods individually as whether they're good or bad for you we look at how it fits in the whole package of where it comes from and if you're going out for a meal and you're going, okay, my place, you know, I have a protein, I have a carbohydrate and I have some vegetables, it's probably going to be a relatively healthy meal. You know, you've got balance there. Having to enter that into your fitness pal to figure out or another app to go exactly how many calories it is, isn't going to, you know, it's only going to affect your relationship with that meal or how you're going to enjoy it. You mentioned hunger cues earlier on. Are you, are, do you think most people know what hunger cues are? I'd say not because I only learned mine about a year and a half ago when I was doing my course in intuitive eating <laughs> and I went ah so like we all are familiar with the stomach you know yeah. and intuitive eating and hunger cues people tend to think oh I have to feel starving in my stomach um whereas that's not necessarily the only thing so like I would be a classic person who when I wake up in the morning the idea of breakfast I'm like oh don't want to have it but I I will because I know I'll get hungry later if I don't but I wake up like I'm not a morning person. So I wake up a bit grumpy. <laughs> so my hunger cue in the morning will be actually my mood. And when I eat, I then feel in better form. I've learned that my hunger cue at three o'clock in the afternoon is getting tired. And when I eat, I have more energy. So hunger cues can be anything related to like, you know, a foggy brain, a headache, dry mouth, you know, just feeling overall, feeling tired, feeling a bit blur, feeling a bit low, a bit hangry. And obviously there can be stomach as well. But I think most people, so when I say to people like, oh, like name five of your hunger cues, they're like, oh my God, um, stomach, maybe hungry. Like they don't, yeah. I was the same. And I have since identified that I have different hunger cues at different times of the day. So mine aren't the same for throughout the day. They definitely would be different from throughout the day. And tiredness is my strongest hunger cue. Yeah, mine would be tend to be if I start to get that. Like, I people will be aware of the word hangry. Yeah, and but that only happens if I haven't had my regular meals. Like, I that's the only thing I focus on is getting the regular meals. Like, I'll only have breakfast. I push out my breakfast a little bit. I'll have a banana, but I won't have like a my oats and stuff like that until maybe half ten or eleven because mm. I just I'm not ready for food at that stage. But in the evenings, I generally because I've kind of had a decent meal for dinner i'm not really hungry in the evenings but like yeah. i remember i had um one of the co-creators of intuitive eating uh alish rishan oh yeah um and she's changed her stance on that scale that they've created that hunger scale that yeah. one to ten yeah that, i think it's one to three is like if you're kind of irritable if you're yeah. dizzy if you've got a headache and then kind of like i think it's eight to ten is kind of like you're full you're kind of that christmas dinner full kind of area they've changed their stance on that mm. um and it will be she, she openly said on the episode she was kind of like it's probably one of the areas that i would change on the whole thing so i would as a rule of thumb for myself i would say am i, am I hungry enough for fruit yeah and that stops me from probably eating going for something else 80 percent of the time and think of the other side think of how many people i say you meet in your line of work and i do who are under eating 
um, and they would say they feel like they're eating enough, but they're tired all the time. Yeah. And you're like, you're, you know, like, I'm like, oh, I'm really, I'm wrecked in the evening times. I wake up tired. And you're like, it's actually not that you're doing X, Y, and Z. It's the fact that you're not fueling your body enough. Um, so it's that kind of, you know, we talk about either this for people who may be like under eating and not realizing that they're recognizing hunger cues that mean that they need to eat more. And then you have people who are like, am I eating because I'm bored? Am I eating because I, you know, it's a hug and a wrapper. I'm just feeling a bit low. Like what is causing that? And I actually would often say as well, you know, have a glass of water, a cup of tea and see, are you still hungry afterwards? Or I have a little thing kind of called the 2020 20, which isn't mine. I took it from somebody else, but it's like you, if you feel like you're kind of going, mm, I feel like I might like something, um, say to yourself, okay, I'm going to do this and I'll have it in 20 minutes. And if in 20 minutes time, you're still going, actually, yeah, I'm hungry. Maybe you spend 20 seconds asking yourself, okay, am I doing this because I missed a snack? earlier on today I had a small lunch or I'm just having a bad day whatever it is it doesn't really matter what the reason is but you've kind of taken responsibility for it and you have more control over it it's not like that out of control eating um and then you know you might go actually I'm having it because I'm bored so maybe I might go and spend 20 minutes having a bath or maybe I'll have 20 minutes of watching something light on tv or I'll go and ring a friend or I'll do try something else to make me feel better to release those nice like kind of you know dopamine nice neurotransmitter feelings yeah. or Maybe I'm just going to eat whatever I want to eat and I'll go for a 20 minute walk tomorrow. Is there a fine line between intuitive eating and uh, unconditional permission? Yes. So that's why intuitive eating is something that, um, practically speaking, in a clinical basis, we don't discuss with everybody or we don't go down that road with everybody. You have to be really in a good place of food and your relationship with food and your body to be really able to, I think, embrace it properly. Um, because the problem is, you know, if you're feeling low or tired or for other reasons, then you're like, am I hungry? Am I not hungry? And if you've, uh, you know, prone to kind of overeating or comfort eating, you could find yourself feeling all of those hunger cues and not know if they're hunger cues or emotional cues. Yeah. I, yeah, it, it is. It's kind of like there's so much information out there compared to, when I was growing up and stuff and um, it's hard to know where you sit. It's hard to know what to believe. Like, Yeah. I think if you're from my rule of things, if the only way you have yours, like, okay, if I'm hungry enough for a piece of fruit, yeah, like I'm hungry. Mine is like, if you find yourself thinking or analyzing too much, overthinking it, there is something amiss there. So if you're kind of going, I don't know if I am hungry, like if you're over overthinking it, you like think just kind of step back from that and go hang on a second okay have I had my breakfast my lunch my dinner like have I had my proper meals today no I probably didn't eat enough so I probably am hungry or I should have eaten enough today but I had a tough day so maybe I just want something I need something else but if you're really starting to overthink it then you're kind of I think you're kind of getting into a more emotional aspect of it yeah it's like I think people need to be aware that we are all emotional leaders I don't think it's like I think it's the hardest part for people to kind of accept and listen to is that we are all emotional eaters. Like if you think about like birthdays, Christmas, and all that kind of stuff, they're happy times. Emotional yeah. eating isn't only a negative thing; it's a positive thing and positive memories and stuff like that. Yeah, and it's like the cup of tea, you know, heals everything. Or there's certain <laughs> things like, you know, you like even Sunday sweeps after mass. Like we used to get, you know, like it was like something you get through mass. You get yeah, yeah, bribery. <laughs> but like there were things and it would be yes it's celebration of food is to be enjoyed and that's 
that kind of that guilt that how many people like I would meet a lot of people who have a lot of guilt around food guilty for eating too much guilty for eating too little guilty for wanting food guilty for you know that you're like trying to get away from that and go it's okay to enjoy food it kind of goes back to the calories and menus that if I'm going out for my dinner I want to be able to relax and enjoy that mood uh, like the mood the food the whole ambiance, everything do I really need to know how many calories are in that meal yeah like I always say to clients that are kind of coming from a food guilt kind of element of well guilt means you've done something wrong think of like someone going to prison and then but the overarching thing of it is shame which means I am wrong for having this piece of chocolate like if you heard your kids say that what would be the response you just want to give them a hug so why are the why are the you've learned that language from somewhere so it can be unlearned from somewhere and that's marketing isn't it like guilt-free you know yeah it's like sin free guilt-free fucking happy free yeah yeah everything free like it's just you know there's we are so ingrained with so many messages from food like we can't ignore them all together it's learning to just coexist with them i suppose in some ways it's learning to kind of like listen to them when maybe they're important and not when they're not important. So it's the idea of like, if I see something guilt-free, that kind of thing, you know, I'll just kind of ignore that and see like, is it something I want to have or enjoy or I'm going to like to have? I'm not going to pick it because it's guilt-free. Um, it's not going to put me off the food. It's not going to make me enticed to the food. You want to try and just forget that message is there as much as possible. It's the good and, good and bad black and white thing. It's like, you know, if we have something like that we associate guilt with be it chocolate be it ice cream crisps a glass of wine whatever it is and then we feel guilty for having it you it becomes more ingrained in your thoughts and you're kind of like okay i shouldn't have that i shouldn't and those are kind of those change words you know the kind of i should i could i have to i need to if you're like oh i shouldn't do this i shouldn't do this i shouldn't do this you're thinking about it much more so you're more likely to want it again or to keep on going Whereas if it's like, oh, I was in the mood for a little bit of chocolate today and I had it and I relaxed, had a cup of tea, watched some TV and enjoyed it. And you give yourself permission to have it. And, you know, for whatever reason, you it's because you know you're allowed to have it. You're not going to have as much of that of kind of guilt or shame around it. Yeah, I'll always ask my clients, you're a much nicer, you're a much nicer person with chocolate and carbs in your life. Ask your partner and the yeah. partner just nods in the background. <laughs> it's like, yep, so yeah. stop cutting it out. Have you found that in the like the last post COVID and compared to pre COVID that things have kind of escalated with kind of eating patterns and disordered eating patterns? Yes. Now I saw it happening before COVID. Yeah. I could really see an increase in younger people, an increase in it between men and women, you know, um, uh, messages about food being very strong like oh like sugar being a big fear food things like that and I do wonder with COVID I think it escalated with COVID with exercise um you know there was all these funny memes going around going oh we're all going to like gain loads of weight because we're locked in the house um, and everyone was making banana bread and it was all this kind of scenario but people became really fixated on running and exercise and what the difference we saw between pre-COVID and during COVID was exercise became a big over exercise became a bigger risk factor for food issues and disordered yeah. eating so it started with exercise and then fell into food so it was um particularly you know kind of a lot of young girls running going out running and then you know competitions between strava some schools were doing things where you had to send in your steps and you know that kind of idea so a lot of tracking like it kind of was away from tracking calories it was tracking exercise and then it becomes competitive and then you know 
this whole thing escalated. So I feel like there was an increase in disordered eating pre-COVID. I think COVID escalated it. I think also parents and families got to see more of eating behaviours within the family because everybody was there all the time together. Um, And we... I will say I, I dread to think the increase in terms of percentages of disordered eating because it can be for overeating, undereating. You know, you don't have to be under your weight can be perfectly normal and have disordered eating, but it's something that we've seen a huge increase in. What also, can be done in like okay, you've got you've got you've got amazing kids and amazing family and stuff, but what can be done in in schools that can either bring an awareness to it or have some sort of like support? Port network or even an education tool there's actually it's funny you say that because body wise just this week have brought out a tool for schools okay help them which is really good because they have really really good resources on their their website um what i would say is one thing is the tracking exercise i'd really encourage for that not to happen particularly in primary school age you know my youngest is 10 and for about the last two years she's wanted to get a device to count steps and i'm like absolutely not when you're 18 you can put yourself not happening but that kind of element of she might just look at that once or twice and get bored and forget about it but i don't want her to know how many steps she's doing a day like she's too young so that exercise is very much about fun movement play learning social you know it's good to encourage fitness we want that but it's done for more of a fun way um in terms of even with like schools being careful language around it that like not referring to things being good or bad for you you know so the idea of like the school lunch policies healthy lunch policies and then it becomes both it's treat and a friday and like you know the biggest excitement in our house is thursday night picking the treat for friday so it's all, it becomes a focus and it's fine. They pick what they want to bring in and that's it. But it's trying to help the language around it that, you know, it's a treat that's something to enjoy, but it's not that it's bad for you. If that makes sense, it's just trying to help get away from the, the, the language we use. Definitely avoiding comparison. So like no comparisons in terms of, you know, people who are faster, sportier, or, you know, in terms of, images or how people look but getting away from comparison because exercise and comparison are two really big things that when a kid starts comparing themselves to others you know they see themselves as not being they're not at the same level for whatever reason be it physically academically anything like that it can great kind of get on top of them so it's trying to get away from comparison as much as possible and kind of getting them to understand that they're all very much unique and wonderful (laughs) but that you're not supposed to be the same. You can't make yourself grow faster. You can't make yourself, you know, you can't make your hair grow longer. You can't do those things. I make my hair grow full stop. <laughs> well, I can never come up with something nutritional that will work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, but I think, yeah, I, I would, I remember doing a talk in one of the schools and they, they were 17 or 18, so they're leaving their students, but they knew a hell of a lot more about foods and macros and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, they probably know too much yeah. because they're like, there's a lot of information, but potentially not enough. I, don't, I hate the word action, but you know what I'm trying to say. Well, if you think of, so I would have done talks to groups of like 11 year olds. And like, if I say, what's a carb? They all know what a carb is. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I kind of think that's unusual enough that that language is so readily available to them from such a young age. When I talk to students like that, like 17, 18 year olds, 
they're completely nutrition savvy in terms of they know a lot of the terminology the questions they ask are very specific to you know particular nutrients or things like that but that they will tend to have oh no i heard this is bad for me or sugar is bad i don't have those because it's very black and white thinking so as you say they have a lot of information but the the context isn't there necessarily or how it's delivered or trying to get a balanced approach with it. They hear a sentence and they're like, let's latch on to that. And it's hard to let that go because it's there's no context behind it. It's just like, right, they've seen someone post this up on social media, like, right, that's the gospel. That's the truth. Let's just latch on to that. Like um, if you think of um like this the this one book, it was the second year, I think SPHE one or one of those books they have, it could be, I don't think it was Hamek, but they had um a line of like to lose weight, you need to eat less. And in that was potatoes, cereals, bread. So like that's going to 13, 14 year olds. So you know, that's if you're 13 or 14, you look at that and immediately go, Oh, they're bad. Yeah. You know, it's not looking at it in terms of balance. So the black and white messaging is something and it's hard sometimes for teachers because they might have something written in a book or a curriculum that they're meant to be following. So they're trying to guide kids around that. Um, and it depends on they're suddenly given a role of teaching this nutritionally and making sure they like it's not triggering in any way or, you know, they're giving the right message across. Um, so I think there's probably, probably needs to be a lot of work done on that in terms of support and probably more input from maybe like health professionals or, you know, sports professionals who can go in and guide and kind of give support into schools yeah you mentioned the word sugar a couple of times in the last couple of minutes and i think that's one of the big topics that we're going to talk about anyway was in relation to like people will say well i can't have fruit because of sugar in it or i'm addicted to sugar or sugar cravings or whatever but then the big one we want to talk about is can we be addicted to sugar so Okay, like I'm kind of like afraid to answer this almost, but like the idea is that sugar is not listed as an addictive substance. Okay, for starters. Okay, Um, sometimes people will describe themselves as feeling addicted to sugar or feel like they have to have sugar. And there can be different reasons for that happening. But they did do like there was research done in giving it was sugar was given to it was to rats. Okay, Um, and they said, oh, it was more addictive than cocaine and this kind of launched a lot of this kind of topic of conversation around is sugar addictive um the rats were actually starved beforehand and then given a sugar solution and then they were allowed to have as much as they wanted so they had been starved beforehand but i mean the other thing is we're not rats so we have to be really careful with research when it's not like when it's on animals we, we don't necessarily react the same um what we know is like an addictive substance can release neurotransmitters which can release dopamine and different things like that now bear in mind Getting a hug from someone can do that. Um, like, you know, looking at cute animals can do that. Uh, listening to music you like can do that. Like there's lots of different things that can release that too, okay? But with sugar, what we would find with people who feel that urge to have sugar or have it all the time, you look at the diet and usually the diet might be, maybe could do more fiber. So we know the higher your fiber intake, the lower your sugar intake, that kind of as a, and the lower your fiber intake, the higher your sugar intake. So we see that kind of seesaw effect. So first things you ask yourself is like, are you eating enough at your meal times? Are you getting enough satisfaction from your meals that you have all your food groups there, that there is your fats and oils included, you are having your fiber, that you're actually satisfied after it. Um, like, are you snacking? So some people suit, you know, three meals and three snacks. Some suit three meals and one snack. Like you find what works for you, but are you making sure or do you have a really big long gap between your eating during the day? 
where your blood sugars might be dripping, like kind of got dripping down a little bit, not dripping, dropping down a little bit. And then you find that uh, you're craving something later on. Um, the other factor is, you know, is this, do you deprive yourself? Do you say, I can't have that? You know, so if you're at the point of avoiding fruit, because you feel the sugar in it, you are going to be thinking about sugar. Like your brain uses glucose as fuel, your muscles use glucose as fuel. If your body's not getting that, it will crave it. And when it's restricted of those things, it will want it. So if I tell myself I'm never going to be allowed to have a piece of chocolate again, and I'm not even a chocolatey person, I can guarantee I will probably feel like chocolate later on or want it in the next couple of days because I've just told myself I can't have it. So it's kind of, you know, often when we permit ourselves to have a little bit more food freedom and have what we feel like, I'm not talking huge amounts, but a little bit of what you feel like, it becomes much more natural in our diet that we don't get that kind of drive or urge to have it. Now, for people, when they feel that, it can feel really, really real. Like, I feel like I can't, can't stop myself. That's when you have to maybe look for some support and, you know, look for support maybe from a disordered eating dietitian, a psychologist, from someone who understands who might just be able to help you plan out your eating a little bit better and help you with your relationship with it. But it's um, just, I would say I do not believe the sugar is addictive. I would tend to agree with you. I remember I put up something maybe about a month ago, three weeks ago, maybe. And I got, uh, there was a, a person over in America, literally came at me, uh, came at me hard. I was like, well, you just described the dopamine and the neurotransmitter responses. So that's essentially making it addictive. It's like, no, that's not what's making it addictive. Um, so yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, I think people are scared of foods. Mm. People are scared of the likes of carbohydrates and people yeah. are scared of the likes of sugar through certain clubs that I think should be banned um, for the, the impact they've had on people um, and the relationship with food, like making up words and stuff. But like, there's nothing like your body's preferred source of energy is carbohydrates. Yeah. It needs carbohydrates. Like you're, you can't ovulate without carbohydrates. So like we're all here because someone has ovulated, if you know what I mean. So yeah. like, like it, 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 carbs are class basically. Stop cutting carbs out. Um, one of the things that we were kind of talking about was in relation to the 80 20 rule, because yeah. I think this is somewhere that a lot of people don't know what 80 20 is. People don't know what 70 30 is. People don't know what 910 is, 9010 is, or whatever it may be. What does, what is the 80 20 rule? What does it actually look like? And then one of the sentences you said afterwards when you put up that post was expand, like nobody eats perfectly. And I think that like, as you said, like you're a dietitian yeah. and you were speaking openly about, well, I have a weekly takeaway. Oh, people, when I, that was the first thing that I heard in my head. I was like, I can hear people going like, hang on, what? What's <laughs> going on here? So you're not allowed to have takeaways as, as a nutritionist or a PT or a dietitian. Like you're not allowed to have takeaways. Like, no, no, most of us actually do. We just don't do it as often as someone else. Um, so how can you explain what the 820 rule and what it potentially would look like for someone? Yeah, so the 820, I this is probably my favorite concept in terms of relationship with food because when we talk about food freedom, like we're, I'm trying to be, we're really clear, we're not saying like eat whatever you want. We're saying you do want to eat healthily. We obviously want people to be healthy, but we want people to enjoy food and have a good relationship with food. So the kind of 80-20 is basically roughly about 80% of your calories are kind of nutritious ones that are going to meet all your nutritional needs and 20 percent of your calories are ones that you kind of feel like they can be healthy they can be less healthy it's completely up to you as what you're in the mood for 
Okay, so people might decide to balance that and that they have something small every day or they might kind of, you know, go kind of have a bit more like a takeaway during the week and then eat out at the weekend or, you know, they can divide it out how they want to. But basically what it is, is that most times like your breakfast, lunch and dinner are pretty much your kind of stable, healthy kind of foods. Um, When I say healthy, I mean that there is your carbohydrate, there is your protein, there is some color, there's a dietary fat source in there, like it's a tasty meal. Um, And that 20% is what we kind of assign for whether it's a bit of chocolate, it's a glass of wine, it's like the takeaway, it's that kind of stuff that they are dotted throughout the week you know, as part of your normal routine, but that they, they're still, I mean, they're still offering some nutrients, like a takeaway, like just to defend my Indian <laughs> takeaway, you're still getting nutrition from that. It's just, I have no idea what the calories are in it, but it's like, it's nice and tasty and I really enjoy it and I don't have to cook. So with the 80, 20, you're kind of going, okay, if my more or less most of the week I spend myself time eating healthily, there is room for a little bit of something every day that might be nice so whether it is a biscuit or a bit of chocolate or you might be the person who prefers to have something bigger on a Wednesday night and bigger on a Saturday night and you know your your wine at the weekend if it's in so when somebody would say to me oh do I need to give up alcohol and they'll say well how much are you drinking and they say oh we share a bottle of wine on Saturday night and I have a couple of gin and tonics on a Friday I go that's not having a negative impact on your weight that's absolutely fine if it's like I'm having half a bottle of wine every night okay that's you know, that's too much and that's taking up more than 20% of your calories. So it's trying to kind of get that balance of going, most of the time we eat healthily, there's always room for the odd little treat in there. So you can work it out, like you can be really like nerdy mathematical, like and go, okay, I have five meals a day by seven days a week, that's 35 meals, 80% of them have to be healthy. You know, you can be like that if you want to, but I think it's better just to kind of go with what works for your routine. I had uh, Leanne Ward on, who is a dietitian over in Australia, and she spoke about, you kind of mentioned the word treats. Yeah. That's kind of one of the words, like, nails on chalkboard to me. But it's, uh, she talks about having soul foods. They're good for the soul. So making sure that you're kind of like having 20% of soul foods in your day or your routine. And it kind of like, it kind of like, they make you feel good. So having those chocolates, having that takeaway, having that, because the takeaway could be the time that could be the only day of the week that all the family are sitting down together. Yeah. it could be the, the, the time of your date night or whatever it may be so it's just it's trying to be present with the added pressure that you're putting on yourself because as we've kind of said like nobody eats perfectly i don't even know a perfect eat. like i've worked on it with clients before and gotten them to write out what a day of perfect eating looks like and then it's like well how many times have you actually stuck with it zero okay so it sounds like it's more unattainable than perfect and they're like okay i'm gonna drop that now <laughs> Yeah. And if you think of the whole kind of, because it's funny you say that the treat word, I have a funny relationship with that word. I kind of go, Ugh. but it's like, I'm always saying like a snack is something that's part of your daily diet. That yeah. A treat is something that may or may not, but tastes good. Um, but I love that idea of the soul food of just being something I really enjoy. I really relax. Um, like today is Friday. So it's nice when I hear that, like, I love my, I have my nachos and a glass of white wine on a Friday night. And I'm like, children disappear. <laughs> It's like and some sort of like crappy reality TV and then I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. But it's that idea of just that's my like just, you know, and there's that's okay. Like that's I'm using food there as a relaxation reward. I'm doing all that, but like I'm okay with that because I really enjoy that. So there's little things. It's the 80-20, I think the prime thing is a saying is no one's diet is perfect 100% of the time. No. And it is 
it's really boring. <laughs> oh, like nutrition is really boring. Like nutrition is like it's really boring, but it's also fascinating. It's the psychology psychological aspect I enjoy more than the actual Me too. nutrition. Like I definitely now I do love my sums, but I love the kind of I love hearing people's perceptions. Like I'm always going so okay. So you said that like why do you think you're avoiding that? Like I would love to hear why they think that something is bad or why they're avoiding it. And you know, sometimes I'll have a very set notion. Sometimes I'm like, oh my God, no, I think I've just like just like that's what like they say. <laughs> you know, that like they say thing is like, who's they? Karen. I always blame Karen. Yeah. So sorry to any Karen's out there, but I always blame Karen. Karen in the office. Karen, Karen always Karen in the office or at work is the yeah. person I blame majority of the time. Yeah. It's like, oh Karen said this. I'm like, yeah, but do you go to Karen for legal advice? It's like, no. Do you go to Karen for medical advice? No. So why are you going to Karen for nutrition advice? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're kind of like, well, sorry, Karen, but stop being, stop giving. Because I, I, and this one is the, the question they sent over is about kind of like looking at diet chat at work because yeah. it can be very hard to, one, because we all want to be socially accepted. Yeah. So one, you want to be in the room, having the chat, having the cup of tea, being able to chill out, having the crack. And then you're also the other side of things is hearing the language of I'm being good today. I can't have this. Mm. I'm going to lick this le- piece of lettuce for the day and see what happens. Yeah. How can we protect ourselves from that diet chat at work? And are there any sentences or phrases that you kind of use or would recommend using? Yeah. So there's, there's two aspects of it. Like it's actually at work and college and school. It's all these environments now. And I would say is, Remember, I said earlier on, sometimes we, ner- we need to learn to live in these situations because they're not going to go away. Okay. And yeah. um, people are going to talk about it. They're going to say things that can sometimes be a little bit triggering for you, which can be really difficult. One thing is just to not respond, be a stone. Like, literally, when they say, like, I'm really good today, just I didn't hear it and just start a different conversation. So don't try and engage with it at all. Because if you kind of go, oh, you know what, do you mind if we don't talk about that? It's like, oh, oh, well, I mean, it wasn't really like, and it, it becomes a bigger conversation. Yeah. So I say it's just like, like literally what off. So I'm in those situations and I'm in those situations. And particularly if somebody finds out I'm a dietitian, I'm like, who told who that I was a dietitian? <laughs> because the questions that start coming in and you're like, I just kind of like nod and I'm like, say nothing conversation off the plate like it's not going to happen so usually like that if rather than because sometimes people feel it's very personal to someone if they don't have a good relationship with food or it feels triggering so they don't necessarily want to have to share that with someone to go do you mind not talking about it but they don't want to leave and go oh they're talking about food i'm just going to leave it's trying to maybe just kind of go like change the conversation or if you find it's still going on a jokey way going okay come on lads let's talk about something different yeah you know just as simple as that and work away from it so when someone's talking about their own eating they have their own issue right so oh i shouldn't have eaten that my pet hate right um or like or the person who goes let's order a piece of cake and we'll share it and then they only have one piece of it and like leave for the other person and almost with feed or like there's all these different things that happen it's being strong so it can happen in work and say there's like chocolates going around and you don't want to have the chocolate you're trying to be healthier you're trying to like pull back on that don't have it say i'm fine thanks i'll have one later you know if you say no they're like oh, come on it's only one have it just no i'm actually i'm actually good thanks i'm full i'll have one later no um you're asking someone they're like offering cake and you don't want to have the cake 
don't have the cake. If you want the cake, take it. But if you don't want it, don't have the confidence to do what you want to do. So like I have been in plenty of situations where I won't take something if I don't want it. And people are like, you should have taken that. I'm like, why? <laughs> I don't want to eat it. <laughs> I get it all the time. I was yeah. actually up with my uncles yesterday and my aunties yesterday and my auntie bakes all the time. And mm. like, she makes cheesecake particularly, especially for me. I'm kind of like, Shane, I was going to have a made for her. I like, I don't really want it. And she's like, she's almost an insult. She takes it as an insult. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, that's her way of showing affection, showing her love to yeah. me. And being felt validated and needed by her, that's what she's projecting onto me. But at the same time, I didn't want it, and that's okay. I'm able to say, no, I'm okay, thank you. It's having the confidence to do that. It's having the confidence to say, like, I don't want to have, I don't know, the cake, the glass of wine, whatever it is. And it's in the situation, if somebody makes comments like that in work, is to literally, as I be a stone, just move on and start a different conversation. Because the more you ignore that, those comments, the person kind of picks up and going, actually, I'm not getting any reaction to that and just pulls back from it a little bit. But it's a big issue. It's a big issue in workplaces. It's a big issue in schools. Now, a lot of girls find it very difficult. Um, guys, in terms of protein and bulking up and, you know, like that kind of idea. So this, it, it happens in different environments and it's trying to just step away from it. But it, you, it is learning to live with it because it's not going to be avoided. The only place you'd ever avoid diet chat is if you go out with a group of dietitians. <laughs> They don't talk about food at all. I don't. Um, how do you protect yourself when you're out for meals? Like if someone finds out you're a dietitian and then you're on a table of like other non-dietitians, how do you protect yourself? I tend to, again, so you might get, I will, the question I will get is tell me sugar. And you're like, oh, yeah. Or carbs. Yeah. And I just kind of go, oh, I know, I think all food's good. And I just give a really like boring, bland answer. And usually then start a conversation about something else. Yeah, it's generally the one, because ice cream is my thing. And mm. my clients know it. And I'm kind of like, if I'm out with my friends or whatever, it's like, well, yeah. should you be having that? It's like, yeah, why shouldn't I? It's like, yeah. but you're you're meant to be like the PT. It's like, yeah, but I like ice cream. Yeah. Well, I find, like, we, I mean, we've been to weddings in the past and like, literally, like, I've been- Oh, weddings are the worst for it. And you're there. And like, my husband said, he was a dietitian and he went, he looked at me and he went, oh good god i'm really sorry <laughs> and like the conversation just i mean i'll never forget it it just really came on and there was obviously somebody there who had a, quite a poor relationship with food and they were question 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 and that was the only time i had to kind of go well you know what do you mind if we don't chat about it it's just like you know it's work for me and that's the only time i had to kind of go i need to nip this in the bud because this is like we have a day ahead of us and i definitely felt a coldness when i did that but I was like, I can't spend the day having this going on and people ask me all these different questions. And like, I'm I'm kind of going like, I, you know, I love my job, but I, <laughs> I don't love it that much. So I was trying to get away from it. But um, in other environments, when you just get a few questions, I find I just kind of be very, very generic or just don't really respond. All right. No, I think, I think it's a good advice. I think it, like, as you said, it's projection from the person on how they feel about themselves yeah. or food or whatever it may be and i think it's important for that we've got i'm i know we're tight enough for time but i'm gonna ask one more question in relation to kind of cholesterol guys i think cholesterol is one of those things that a lot of clients that would come to me would kind of be on the cusp of it being in a more serious place than where it needs to be or could be and somewhere through lifestyle 
diet and th somewhere through kind of like genetics and stuff can you explain what cholesterol is and can you explain what a normal ish range of what cholesterol is for someone okay so cholesterol is a com component it's um it's, it's in our body blood we need to have it we need a certain amount of cholesterol in our system but when we have too much it can form like it can kind of bind with calcium and form different things and cause little kind of plaques and cause difficulty so we want to keep it in a healthier level and the levels have changed over the last year so like when i first qualified it was less than 5.5 then less than 5.2 and now they say less than 5 4.5 so it's kind of you're really trying to get it in less than five anyway or closer to 4.5 as much as possible. But we look at the breakdown of cholesterol. So there's like one they call like the good cholesterol, which is HDL, which is kind of impacted by exercise. So you want that to be kind of higher. And LDL is the one which we kind of refer to as the bad cholesterol, which is affected by diet. And you want that to be lower. So when we look at people's cholesterol, we do look at the breakdown as well and look at other risk factors, you know, so blood pressure, weight, male, female, pre or postmenopausal, we look at all those factors too. Um, always will ask about family history because as you say, sometimes it's genetic and someone could be doing everything diet-wise to try and yeah. fix it. And there's nothing, they, they just, the medication will be the way to go because the, the diet, they could kill themselves having the perfect diet and it's not going to work. Um, so with cholesterol, what's interesting is I find people approaching them, what am I doing wrong? So what am I eating that's wrong that I need to take away? And what we're trying to kind of say is, no, no, it's what we bring in to help get rid of the cholesterol in the body. Okay, so we tried the certain foods that can help eliminate cholesterol. And the main one is fiber, particularly soluble fiber. So cholesterol actually can cling to fiber in the food, in, in our stool and we can eliminate it then through our stool. So we can actually lower our cholesterol by about 30% through diet. If you're not able to do it through diet, it's not diet that's causing the problem. So yeah. you can kind of look at it that way. And oats would be the one that we kind of, you know, I mean, as dietitians, there is one food we're all obsessed about is oats. But like oats <laughs> a fiber called beta-glucan. And beta-glucan particularly is known to help lower cholesterol. So if you have oats in your diet every day, that can really help lower your cholesterol. Um, which is one factor. Nuts and seeds can help also. So nuts sometimes avoid it because people perceive them to be high in calories. But having a handful of nuts every day can be such a, a kind of a proactive thing to do to help heart health and reduce cholesterol. Um, and it can be any nuts, like you know, walnuts are highest in omega-3, almonds are like really good for um magnesium, Brazil nuts are really good for vitamin E. Like they all have their own little kind of benefits. So any of them can be fine. Fruits, vegetables, beans, and pulses. So beans and pulses, again, are like a really lovely soluble fiber that help the cholesterol cling to it to help the body eliminate it. So things like lentils, chickpeas, butter beans, kidney beans, all of that family. Um, I would I buy tinned versions. I'm not buying the dried ones and soaking them overnight just because I don't have time. So what I would tend to do a lot is, because my husband has high cholesterol, is... Um, we, I would, if I'm making a bolognese and I have my mince, I use a little bit less mince than I used to. And now I throw a couple of tins of lentils in with it. Or if I'm doing a chickpea, a chicken curry, I throw in some chickpeas or I tend to kind of incorporate them into the family dinners, mainly so they don't get detected as much. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's just a way. So we kind of say, if you can try to get 30 different plant-based foods in your diet every week, that would be like your fruit, veg, beans, pulses, nuts, seeds. That's a really positive way to help bring down cholesterol. You've got things like your plant sterols as well, like, you know, your drinks that you can take. Yeah, the, 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 the certain drinks that, they, that are promoted, yeah. Like they work too. Um, I don't always recommend them. I tend to go more with the 
like the fiber element of it first the lifestyle and diet like, side rather than trying to rely on a drink yes yeah, trying to get like if you get the diet right you are exercising you're hydrating you're getting enough sleep you know stress impacts everything too like there's all of that like you know it's not just one factor but it's not just people suddenly going i can't have butter ever again you know we would still say to people who have high cholesterol if you're having butter fine just don't have too much of it yeah yeah i think like uh, i think it's being aware of which type you have of like is it the genetic factor or whatever because i know it's in on both sides of my family but mm. my brother and i have avoided it so far yeah. but we're quite fit and active and healthy and all that kind of stuff but it's still not going to outdo the genetic element of it but we still haven't got it yet and my husband's is genetic like he i mean well some of his diet too in fairness but he's very sporty he's active but like when he minds his diet he can get it down to about yeah, five, yeah. like four but he can't get it doesn't go any lower than that you know what i mean so it's like you know in the minute he goes it's 5.4 it's fine and he the diet comes back and it's up to six and i'm like okay back down again <laughs> yeah to rein things in a little bit yeah just kind of dial it back um but i think there's loads in there there was other questions i was going to ask but i think that could end up being a whole episode on itself with kind of like the bmi and stuff but like there's so much in there. there's my fitness pile there's hunger cues there's intuitive eating versus unconditional permission there's kind of um addicted to sugar a 20 rule diet chat at work cholesterol there's loads in there so uh even i can't thank you enough for giving us so much of your friday morning to have a chat uh where can people find about you on social media where can people book an appointment in and where can people work with one of your team um so uh at avina bannon is my uh instagram uh kind of handle but our website is uh www.dnc.ie for dub nutrition center if you go on then you'll see you can see a little bit about all the girls you you know the dietitian that you feel is suited for you and you can click on book an appointment or you can call the office um 639-8852 and the lovely astrid will look after you the first time i've ever had someone give out a phone number on the podcast there you go. There you go. First time for everything. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Amy. Yes, I listen. I loved it. It was really enjoyable. I loved having the chat. Awesome. Thank you so much.